We are in John chapter 12, and there's a lot of good stuff in John chapter 12. And I'm not doing a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. I'm picking sections out of each chapter uh, to teach upon. And it was very challenging in John chapter 12 to pick a passage and, and, and focus in on it. Um, actually, it wasn't that hard. The, the section I picked is, is dear to my heart, and so, it, but there's a lot of good stuff in it. Um, but we're going to be focusing today on the first eight verses of John chapter 12. But before we get there, I want to read the first few verses of Psalm 29, because what we're going to be talking about today is worship. What is worship? And what really is true worship? I don't want to suggest to you that I have a full comprehension of what true worship is. I know that the Bible says that Jesus taught us that the Father seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So I know that's an aspect of it. I know what we will study this morning is a part of what true worship is. But I think true worship is a constant revelation unto us of who God is. He's infinite. And as we enter into relationship with him, just as Jenny told us during the call to worship, we think we have God figured out. And there's always a new horizon to him, a new revelation of him. And when we begin to love him, enter into that relationship with him that is based upon love and passion, I think worship overflows from our lives. In Psalm 29, the psalmist writes, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. So worship is a, about ascribing to the Lord His worth. The things that we understand about Him, acknowledging those things and saying, you are worthy, you are glorious, you are holy. All of those attributes that God possesses, acknowledging them and lifting them up. But in the first eight verses of chapter 12 in the Gospel of John, there's, uh, I think, a unique experience with worship that perhaps many of us have not really experienced or understood. And hopefully I will be able to draw that out. It says in verse 1, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, of course, Jesus had been in this region for a while. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead just briefly before this. So Jesus had been in the region of Bethany. Bethany is a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, up the Mount of Olives. And this is a community of very poor people. A lot of people who lived in Bethany were impoverished. Many of them were sick. And we'll find that this anointing that we read about today took place at the home of a person named Simon the leper. So there were people in Bethany that were dispossessed, people that were not prominent in the social circles of Jerusalem. And yet, this is where Jesus liked to hang out. So Jesus is in Bethany. 
at the home of Simon the leper. And here, a dinner was being given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And I see in these two, again, a, a picture of part of what our relationship with God ought to be. Martha, of course, was always that one who was involved in, engaged with service unto Jesus. She was the one serving at the table. Remember, she came to Jesus and complained about Mary sitting at his feet and saying, Lord, don't you care that I'm having to serve all these people? And Mary's just sitting there at your feet. And of course, Jesus said, Martha, you're concerned about so many things. But Mary today has chosen the better thing. But she was a server. She had a servant's heart. And I think service unto God is an aspect of of worship. It's an aspect of our relationship with him. And that was what Martha uh, excelled at. And it says Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And I love the picture there. Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead just a few days earlier, the one who stinketh, is now sitting at the table. And isn't that a great picture of all of us? Each one of us here this morning and each one who's hearing my voice who has come into relationship, who has come out of the grave just as Lazarus did. Stepped out of the grave, bound in grave clothes, unable to move. And yet Jesus has called us forth out of the tomb. And he has told those around us, the church, remove the grave clothes, take them off of them so that they can move about freely. And so here Lazarus now is sitting at the table, just as Jesus said would be the case. There in Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open up, I will come in and sup with him or eat with him or fellowship with him. And so this is a beautiful picture. Lazarus has come out of the grave. He is no longer bound by sin. And he is sitting at the table of fellowship with the Lord. And that's a beautiful picture. And it's really what has happened with each one of us. We, all of us, sit at the table of fellowship with God. And I love what Jeff shared after I taught on John chapter 11. He said, when Lazarus came out of the grave, he didn't stink anymore. He was clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here he sits at the table fellowshipping with him. So those are aspects of relationship with God, service unto him, fellowship with him. But what we're going to see exhibited here by Mary is worship at a deeper level. Verse 3 says, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, 
a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So there's this exhibition of worship that Mary engages in where she takes this pint of spikenard, perfume, and, and she pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. Now, understand, and, and it actually mentions it there in verse 5, that this was very valuable perfume worth about a year's wages. Understand also that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, as I said, were not well-to-do people. In order for them to purchase this spikenard, it took a significant sacrifice. And I want to give you five, out of this uh, illustration of Mary's worship of Jesus, five different truths about worship that I hope each one of you can begin to contemplate, meditate upon, and ultimately apply to your lives as Christians. The first thing we need to understand about worship is that worship is costly. Worship is costly. As mentioned, a year's worth of wages. Imagine Mary, Martha, and Lazarus accumulating what little they had day to day in preparation for the purchase of this spikenard. It cost them an extraordinary amount in order for Mary to worship Jesus in this way. Likewise, King David, when he was wanting to build the temple, it says that he went to Ornan and wanted to purchase Ornan's threshing floor from which David would begin setting the foundation for the temple. And Ornan, because he was a smart guy, said, Oh, you're the king, David. You don't need to buy this from me. I will give it to you. And in fact, not only will I give you my threshing floor, I'll give you sacrifices upon which you can sacrifice unto God. And David responded to Ornan. He said, I will pay the full price both for the threshing floor and for the sacrifices, I will not offer unto God that which costs me nothing. So worship is costly. Understand that. Worship is not comfortable. Worship costs us something, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. It cost Mary a great deal in order for her to take this spikenard and to pour it on Jesus' feet. Secondly, worship is extravagant. Worship is extravagant. Why couldn't Mary have just poured out a little bit of the spikenard? Why did she have to pour out the whole pint upon his feet? Couldn't she have just poured a little bit and saved the rest, sold it, maybe as Judas suggested, give the, the proceeds to the poor? No, worship is extravagant because we serve a worthy God. She poured out everything that she had upon his feet, and then she wiped the spikenard with her hair. Worship is extravagant. When Solomon dedicated the temple, Solomon, of course, was a very wealthy, well-to-do person, 
had more than he could ever need. But when he dedicated the temple, he sacrificed 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. Why so many? Wouldn't just a few have serviced? That's a large number of sacrifices that Solomon made. And he was wealthy. He could afford it, but it was still extravagant in setting the stage for worship of God. But it's not just the wealthy who can be extravagant. As I mentioned, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were poor. Also think about the widow's might, which right here I have with me, fell out of my Bible. Remember the story of the widow's might. Jesus was standing there at the temple, and people were making their offerings, and many of the rich and well-to-do were filling the offering pails. Very impressive. Then along comes a widow and puts in two mites. And you might not be able to see this, but this is uh, an actual mite from uh, around 100 B.C. It's very small. It's got some imprints on it. little copper coin. Very small. She gave two of these. And Jesus called attention to her offering because he said all of the rest of these have given out of their abundance. They gave and they still had plenty left over. But this widow, Jesus said, gave out of her necessity. All that she had. She was extravagant in her worship of God. And God Jesus recognized it as such. So worship is costly. It costs us something. Worship is, worship is extravagant. Sometimes we give far beyond that which we really have to give because God is worthy. Which brings us to the third point that we see here. Worship is focused on Jesus. Notice there that Judas wanted to sell the spikenard Use the proceeds to give to the poor, although really it wasn't to give to the poor. It was so that he could pilfer the money. But Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. The focus of Mary's worship was singularly upon Jesus Christ. It was not upon anything else. Her focus in worship was upon Jesus Christ. We see the same thing occurring in Revelation chapter 4. The four living creatures and the 24 elders surround the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives for and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits upon the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So the four living creatures, the 24 elders, all recognize the worthiness of God sitting upon the throne. But later in chapter 5, it says that he who sat upon the throne had a scroll. And John began to weep because there was no one in all of heaven or, or on earth or beneath the earth who could open the scroll or even look inside it. And then John saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures. 
And the lamb went up and took the scroll from him who sits on the throne. And then all of those sitting around the throne, standing around the throne, began to sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people from every nation. And later they said, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The worthiness of God. Understanding that he is worthy of your praise. Not only is he worthy of your praise, that you would ascribe to him the glory due his name. He's worthy of your life. Everything that you have to give. Paul wrote to the, the, the Romans in chapter 12. He said, Brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. So we are to not only give our first fruits unto God, as I mentioned this morning, we're not only to give that which costs us something, we're not only to be extravagant in our worship, ultimately we are to give our very being, our very self, Everything that we are is to be offered as a living sacrifice unto God because He is worthy. Not only did He save us from our sin, not only did He die on the cross on our behalf, but He rose up from the dead and He is seated upon the throne. And He lives forever and ever, the Bible says. And so everything that we have to give to Him, He is worthy of. It's our reasonable service of worship. Now, when you do that, when you give everything that you have, whether material or spiritual, unto God, people will not always understand that. And that's the fourth point that I want to bring. Is oftentimes, in fact, I would suggest to you most times, when you engage in all-out, full-throttle worship of God, there will be those just as there were in this setting, who will look at what you do and say, well, that's ridiculous. Why are you worshiping a God that you cannot see? Why are you going to church every Sunday morning to lift up praises to a being that may or may not exist? Those are the voices, just like the voice of Judas. Say, why not sell the spikenard? Why not take the proceeds and do some social good with it? People won't understand what it means when you worship God with your whole heart, when you offer up your lives as a living sacrifice. There will be Judases in your life who call it into question who suggest that you're wasting your resources, your time, your wealth in worship of God. But nothing could be further from the truth. And there will come a time, there will come a moment, as we read in Revelation 4 and 5, when you stand before the throne of God 
And all of that investment that you have made into the kingdom of God, all of the finances that you have invested, all of the time that you have invested, all of the energy that you have invested in the kingdom of God, in worship of Jesus Christ, will be returned to you far beyond anything that you're able to even begin to imagine. So worship is costly. It's extravagant. It's focused on Jesus because he's worthy. And worship oftentimes will cause others to misconstrue or misunderstand your life. It happened with David. You recall when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And David took off his clothes down to his linen underwear and was twirling and dancing and jumping for joy before the ark as it moved into Jerusalem. Sort of ridiculous for a king, don't you think? That's what his wife might, uh, his wife thought. She looked at him and it says in the Bible that she despised him in her heart. Thought it was ridiculous that the king of Israel would disrobe himself before the maidens of Israel and dance like a fool before the ark of God. And when he came into his dwelling place, she told him this. And he said, you think that's bad? I'm going to get even more undignified than that. Because I understand who God is. What he's done for me. And I love him. And when you're in a love relationship with someone it doesn't really matter, does it, what everybody else says about your interaction with the person that you love? They may not understand it, but you do, and the one you love does. The fifth point about worship that I want you to understand, I forgot. Okay. Actually, this was the main point, too. <laughs> okay. True worship involves more than singing. Now, I don't want to disrespect what the praise team does or what the choir does. As all of you know, I play on the praise team. I love music. I was touched during the, the, the offering this morning just by listening to Alicia's playing. It, it was just profound for me. I love musical worship, but worship, and I want you to understand this, worship is so much more than just musical experience. Now, in, in our Western culture, we often think about worship in terms of music. There are worship albums. There are worship groups that sing songs, and, and, and you know, that's wonderful. Music is just an aspect of worship. When we look at the scene here at the home of Simon the leper, there are no choirs of angels singing as there were in the hills of Judea at the birth of Jesus. We don't see anybody's voices raised in song. The worship was all about the heart. And what I want you to, to know and, and, and it's in our bulletin. I, I changed the bulletin very shortly after I came here because I wanted us to become 
familiarized with the concept of worship as a very broad experience, really a life experience. So we have worship and stewardship. We have a call to worship. We have worship in the word. We have worship in testimony. We have worship in song. When you leave this building today and you go to your home or to your place of business, you still have the opportunity to worship. Because wherever Jesus is, the opportunity to give him your life exists. Worship is about so much more than singing. As I mentioned, it involves giving a living sacrifice unto God. So as we move into 2016, I want you to think about Mary's act of worship. Jesus said that throughout the world, wherever the gospel would be preached, that Mary's act of worship would be remembered. Now, now, now think about that for just a moment. We're in the home of a leper. A dinner being served by some very impoverished people. It was probably a very Spartan meal. But the centerpiece of that home, the centerpiece of that meal, was Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, because of what Mary did, the whole world, wherever the gospel was preached, would reflect upon that and remember that. And that's what we do this morning. We remember Mary's act of worship. And I, again, want to suggest to you as you enter into 2016 that you begin to think about your life and how it reflects worship. You may not be the wealthiest person in Gunnison County, but I can tell you with absolute certainty that if you worship with the heart that Mary worshiped with, God's throne is touched. And the ripple effects of that kind of worship, that kind of life commitment unto God is incalculable. We live in a small mountain community. But I'm going to tell you that when you worship God with your whole heart, when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, and as this body of believers begins to do that corporately, the impact upon our community, upon our world, when true worship is practiced, when hearts are transformed to recognize the true treasure. Jesus said, wherever your heart is, there your treasure will be also. When Jesus becomes our treasure, just as he was Mary's, the whole world will be impacted by it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the awesome opportunity we have moving into this new year to be light in darkness, to be salt in the earth, and to allow our light and our salt, Lord, to be seen and to be tasted by all those around us. Mary was not worshiping to be seen. She was worshiping because she loved you. I pray for each one of us the same can be said, that our love would grow and our experience with you 
would just continually be unveiling day to day throughout this year. Help this church and help each one of us within this body of believers here at Community Church to enter into a new experience with worship in this year that will transform us personally and impact our world eternally. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand now and we will sing that hymn, Majesty. Worship His Majesty. Amen. Let's gather around in a circle and we will spend a few moments worshiping in testimony. Bridget, I think I will let you start off. I know you have an announcement. Tuesday, and that's $185,000, and 
we're just asking the church to believe with us that God can do miracles and uh, believing that that might be happening. Okay, so prayers for the Lighthouse Pregnancy Center and their uh, attempts to raise funds to purchase a building over there at 204 North 12th. Okay. Any other praise reports, prayer requests? Jody. So Paul is home in glory with his Lord and Savior and also his beloved wife, and we are saddened to see him go, but we're thankful that he is with God now. So that's a wonderful blessing, wonderful blessing. Anyone else? Yeah, Eric. Um, yeah, my, because of the lady folks suffered a massive stroke last Sunday, um, just the boxers. So, yeah. That's your cousin, Elaine. Okay, massive stroke, so be praying for healing. God to do a miraculous work in her life. Okay. Oh, Robert. Oh. Just wanted to ask everyone to lift up marriages, especially mine and my kids. Okay, always be praying for marriages. Joanne. So prayers for Barry, who's having a respiratory thing, just nagging him for the last several weeks. And actually, I'm looking at us, all of us holding hands. I'm just thinking we should pray for one another. Uh, no. Okay, Tammy. But it is one. God will win. So on the heels of that, keep, keep your ears open for our open house on the youth, the brainstorming session the executive committee and staff want to have with all of you. Think of others from the community who might like to come to the brainstorming session and talk about how we can better reach the youth population. There'll be food and child care. We'll print the date and give you a few weeks' notice in a bulletin so you can be there. January 31st but we will definitely be letting folks know about the, the youth brainstorming session. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that in, in the midst of joys and concerns, uh, you remain absolutely unchanged. You sit upon the throne, and uh, we can trust fully and completely in you and know that you uh, will meet every need that we have according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And for that, we are thankful. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia. Sing alleluia. 
Christy will be standing back by the back door. For those of you who weren't here on Christmas Eve, uh, I wrote a booklet that Christy and I are giving to the church as a gift. So if you have not received that booklet yet, Christy will have a basket, and she'll be standing back at the back door that you can pick one up with Merry Christmas from us. Go in peace. Have a great week.